Good morning, Gator Nation, and welcome to episode 26 of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. We've got a very special show tonight, as Florida is one win away from wrapping up the SEC East, and they will try to get that win in Knoxville right in front of a Tennessee volunteer fan base that would really hate to see that. And for this special show, we've got an incredibly special guest along with us to break it down. Of course, I am your host, Dustin Smith, and you can find me on Twitter at IAKOWDustin. And as always, we've gotten all kinds of weather creator and founder Neil Schulman with us. And you can also follow him at All Kinds Weather. So, Neil, how's it going? It's going great, dude. I can't wait for the show we've got for y'all. I'm surprised you passed up on the opportunity to say this is the Kamar Wilcoxon episode because he wears number 26, and he, as most of us know, was waffling between Florida and Tennessee long, long ago when he was just a recruit and not an on-field presence for the Florida Gators. So, yeah, this is the Kamar Wilcoxon episode. It's our Florida-Tennessee preview episode, and we've got a very special guest lined up to help preview it. So, can't wait to get into that. Have Well, you always ask me how I'm doing. How are you doing, man? i gotta got to reciprocate that. How's it... How's everything going for you? And now I'm doing just dandy. Had a fun Thanksgiving, which was rather small. Usually I spend time with uh, my my grandfather and his wife. But obviously due to COVID-19, we did not get the chance to do that. But I had a good time with my parents. Um, and then obviously uh, – Went to the, well, not obviously, um, but we had the chance to go to the Florida-Kentucky game, and that was, all, that was incredibly fun, opportunity to be able to take some photos in the stadium. Yet again, I was be able to take in my professional camera there, and uh, I don't take that lightly because um, I've heard of some photographers that get told no when it comes to that. So happy to get in there, happy to get some good photos, and those will hopefully be on the website later on this week. But yeah, had a had a good weekend, and I'm excited about our guest that's coming on. Yeah, no, you got some good shots, man. Y'all can check out more of them. You can check out at Dustin the Now on Twitter and Instagram to see more of his photos. It's not just Gator related; he does rocket launches too, um, and he will cover some other events um, depending on the time of year. Uh, before we get to our main guest, two quick orders of business. The first one we got to take care of is the little bit of news that broke early Monday evening that Florida running back Iverson Clement will be transferring out of Florida. It is not a huge surprise, I don't think, to many people, but it is something that will and I guess now has thinned out our running backs room. Um, I mean, Florida's going to be in good hands there because Damian Pierce and Malik Davis, pretty good one-two combo there. And even if, even in, in a nightmare scenario where they both leave next year, which they probably won't, but let's just say for argument's sake they do, Florida's got two former five stars in Lorenzo Lingard and Demarcus Bowman waiting in the wings to get their carry. So, you know, along with Naquan Wright, it would have been impossible for Clement to see the field next year, let alone this year. So, of course, we wish him well. Um, we understand this kind of had to happen. 
if you wanted to see playing time. But Dustin, let's get your quick thoughts before we get into our sponsors on Clement. Obviously, it's sad anytime you connect with a with a Gator player and and watch him develop at his time at the University of Florida. Um, also, as an alumni, uh, anytime you see a um, a student um, transfer and leave, it's always a disappointment. But shout out to him. Obviously, he's probably going to get playing time at another place, and and he'll he'll do just fine. So uh, I wish him all the best. And uh, during his time at the Gators, is definitely a, a big fan. He had a uh, had a, a couple good plays as a Gator, and he will be missed. And um, great again, to add to what you said, I agree 100% with you. Um, the uh, the running back room is going to be loaded. I expect the Gators to be. Um, relying on the running backs a ton and in, in uh, 2021 um, you know the likes of Lingard Demarcus Bowman um, Pierce uh, is Pierce able to stay or is he, is he, he can no I remember everyone can stay because of COVID everyone gets a free okay. blanket oh, year true. of eligibility so I was just talking worst true. case yeah, scenario Pierce is gonna be back but yeah, yeah. I mean, he I would I would think at least one of him or Davis will be back. Probably Davis. Probably if one of them were to leave, it would be Pierce. But they could, in theory, both be back. And, I mean, even in the best-case scenario for Iverson Clement that they both leave, he would still probably never have seen the field. Um, great great dude. Great kid. Did it the right way. Everyone within the program that I've ever spoken to had nothing but good things to say about him. So thanks for all your efforts, Iverson. We're going to miss you. Fellow Jersey boy right here saying best of luck yeah. to you um, moving forward. Yeah, man. So, Neil, you, as always, you do a great job with those ads. So uh, kick it up, man. So the second order of business for us is quickly shouting out our partners slash sponsors. We're proudly partnered with the Gator Good Foundation, which is a nonprofit organization that works to send an underprivileged Gator fan to the swamp in non-COVID years. In the midst of a COVID year of 2020, we have been reduced to a virtual campaign and we are about to introduce our winner. So you'll want to be following our social handles at the Gator Good on Twitter, at Gator Good Foundation on Instagram, and the Gator Good Foundation on Facebook. Secondly, we are proudly sponsored by Stingray Branding. These folks will put a sting into your marketing and they'll deliver results that will wow your clients. Whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design, Stingray Branding has you covered. If you or someone you know needs professional help in any of the above, here are two great reasons why you should choose Stingray Branding. One, it's a veteran-owned business. There is not a better way to properly thank those who serve our country than by giving them your business. And two, it's run by a Florida Gator. So not only do they do great work, but they do great work and they are owned by a Florida Gator who happens to be a U.S. veteran. To learn more about their services and rates, go to stingraybranding.com. That is stingraybranding.com. And now that we've gotten our sponsors taken care of, let's bring on our guest. As y'all know, this is a big game, so we had to have a big-time guest for the occasion, and I think we checked that box. Our guest tonight hails from Jasper, Florida. He played for Steve Spurrier's Gators from 1998 to 2001, and he was a two-time first-team All-American for the Florida Gators in 1999 and 2001. His 33 sacks for the Gators are by far the most in the history of Florida Gator football, and as such, he is widely considered to be the best defensive end in Florida Gators history. 
After his sensational collegiate career, our guest tonight went on to the NFL and became a terror there too. He played nine seasons in the league, eight of them with the Chicago Bears, and racked up 45 and a half sacks, 14 forced fumbles, 12 fumble recoveries, and five picks. And Oh yeah, most relevant for our purposes tonight, he has a special history against Tennessee as he set a school record by sacking T. Martin five times in the 1999 Florida-Tennessee game. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got the one and only Alex Brown with us today, number 13, and he is going to help preview our upcoming game against the Tennessee Volunteers. Alex, thanks for joining us, man. Welcome to our show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, man. It's a lot of fun. Of course. Uh, so we usually start off our shows with a segment called the lightning round, but we're going to put that second tonight because I want to settle something that we've been debating for months. Now we've known each other for a while and back in yep. the summer, we've been taught, we were talking about the ring of honor that Florida has in Ben Hill Griffin stadium. You made the yes. point to me that you should be in the ring of honor because you are Florida's all-time sacks leader, and it's not even close. And you had 33 sacks, and Alonzo Johnson, the second leading sack artist, had 27. And your whole point is that the criteria for admittance into the University of Florida ring of honor should be about what you did at the University of Florida. Now, I'm not the guy that makes that decision, but I'm going to ask you to speak to the people who do directly. Say that the people who could change the criteria for acceptance into the Ring of Honor are listening right now. Make your case. In your mind, as a true Gator great, what should the criteria be? Who are the best um, players ever played? I mean, that's, that's pretty plain and simple, honestly. Uh, they, they have a criteria that's, that's specific to the players that's in. I mean, the Heisman Trophy, I think it speaks for itself. If you're in the Heisman, then I, I fully believe you should be in um, I, I don't believe that you should get in for things you did after. So uh, what you do in the NFL has truly nothing to do with um, the University of Florida or what you did at Florida. So, I mean, just look at our quarterbacks. I mean, honestly, all three of them that's in, they weren't very successful in the NFL. So should you take away from them for that? You know, you, you shouldn't. You shouldn't take away from them because it has nothing to do with how successful they were in, in college. They were extremely successful and I think they're rightfully, uh, they should be there. But when you look at um, just the body of work of what I did at Florida, I mean, obviously I didn't do it by myself. I mean, a lot of teammates that did their job. So I don't want to sit up here and act like I did it by myself. I didn't. But uh, when you look at it, uh, I could be off a number or two, but um, Wilbur Marshall's in. And Wilbur Marshall has, when you count the sacks and you count the tackles for loss, he has 81 total. I have 80 um, total. Uh, he made the SEC, all SEC three times. I made all SEC three, three times and we're one of, I believe, five guys that's ever done that. So when you're talking about that, I mean, I made All-American twice, first team, and then made All-American second team once. So there's a three-time All-American, uh, three-time All-SEC, uh, All-SEC, I'm sorry, uh, SEC Defensive Player of the Year, um, I mean, just look at it. I mean, it's just – it's something that I don't control who I come out with. And this right here probably hurt because I would have met that criteria, but I came out with two Hall of Famers who won all of the um, defensive stuff and Julius Peppers and Dwight Freeney. So, 
I mean, that's, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't take away from what I did at Florida. And I think it's hard to just sit up and say that you have two, not one, but two defensive players in the ring of honor, and I'm not one of them. I mean, that's just I, – I don't, I don't believe that. I believe I'm the most dominant defensive player to ever play at the University of Florida. I do believe that. Um, I think the stats will back it up. Um, if you want to argue uh, Wilbur Marshall, totally get it because he was an absolute monster, okay? He was an absolute monster. But when you're talking about Jack Youngblood, that one I, I disagree with because he wasn't as dominant at Florida. He made All-American for a year, but he wasn't as dominant um, as Wilbur or myself when we're talking about what we were able to do in our career at the University of Florida. I've met Jack Youngblood, love Jack Youngblood. I, he should be there. All I'm saying is if he's there, then I should be there. That's all I'm saying. Well, you have an argument as the all-time sack leader. And again, it's worth pointing out the discrepancy between one and two on that list, 33 versus 27. And then after that, it's increments of a sack or a sack and a half or so. And then there's six sacks that separate you and number two uh, in Alonzo Johnson. So you, you do have a case there. I will... I will pass this along to the people who make those decisions. I can't promise anything, but I think they deserve to at least hear you out. I think they should. I, I think they should. They should hear it. Um, they, I can't go back and do anything. So um, the criteria wasn't up prior to um, me finishing my career. So I can't go back and do anything. I can't like make these things or try to shoot for these things. I mean, they're already, already done now. My career is, but for me to just get in, I think it was 2016, I want to say, um, I got into the Georgia-Florida Hall of Fame. I think that's crazy. I mean, I'm, the second I was available to get in, I should have gotten in. I mean, I can't understand why I'm not in the SEC um, Legends because SEC Legends, I mean, there's five guys. And the guys I've looked up, Herschel Walker, Bo Jackson, David Pollock, Wilbur Marshall, and myself are the only guys that have ever made all SEC three times. First team, first team all ACC three times. I'm the only one not in. How can that be? I just don't, I don't know if I did something to somebody or, or I slapped somebody's child or something. I have no idea. If I did, I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> really, I ain't mean it. Like, come on. So, but it's just like that stuff. I don't, I don't understand it. Um, to make two-time All-American, uh, the other year I made second team All-American. Um, I think uh, that's, that's three years of, I think, pretty dang good football. Um, at the University of Florida. So I, I, Florida is not for me. I, I'm a Gator through and through. Um, I love the Gators more than I love the Bears. I, that's, the Gators gave me an opportunity. They came to Jasper, Florida, which you mentioned earlier. They came to Jasper and got me, gave me an opportunity to play at a prestigious program. And I was able to come in with a great bunch of guys. And I was able to do some things that nobody's ever done before. So it was a lot of fun. Yeah, man. Well, hey, Alex, you certainly have had a storied career at the University of Florida, and I just want to thank you for the time, the effort uh, that you put in as a Gator. You know, you don't just show up to practice and show up to games and put up the numbers and, and the, the big-time plays that you put up. You worked your butt off to make that happen. So thank you for giving the Origin Blue your all in all. For sure. Absolutely. So we do something here every week called the lightning round. So we'll go ahead and start out with this one. What was your favorite win to be part of as a Gator? SEC Championship uh, 2000. That's, I mean, it's 
not even close, honestly. Uh, the the second one would be it's more personal, more of a personal reason, but the SEC championship because we went up to Mississippi State and we lost uh, to Mississippi State, and then we're able to reel off um, consecutive wins, and then that my gosh, that South Carolina game where we dropped down like twenty-one to six or something, and then Lido takes one in, uh, takes a punt in just before halftime, and we, we have the lead. I want to say it was 31-21, and you kind of realize, like, at that point, that, yeah, they're not coming back on us. I mean, they blocked two field goals for touchdowns. I'm sorry, blocked two punts for touchdowns. And then it was just, like, all we have to do is just play football and we'll beat these guys. So um, it was a great team moment um, to get there, and then you're playing Auburn. And uh, I still talk to, to Heath um, to this day. And it's like Heath and I think it was Rudy Johnson, I think it was, uh, the running back. Like they were just they – were, they were good, but they weren't our team. Uh, we had a really, really special team um, that year. So uh, it was – winning a championship with your teammates is fantastic. So the, the second one, I'll just say it because I know my brother's going to watch this. So he always talked trash about um, how he went to University of Maryland and he always talked trash about how they would beat us. And we got the opportunity to play them my last game of my career. And we just beat the dog out of them. It was just, it wasn't even close. And they were the ACC champs at the time. So, and we just smoked them. So, and that was, that was a great personal win. That's why I say it's more of a personal thing. But as far as a great win, just my favorite win, definitely was um, the SEC championship of 2000. My uh, my first memory as a Gator fan was at that uh, game versus Maryland in 2001. <laughs> I was I was uh, I, I just turned um, seven years old. Oh, don't say that! Don't say uh, that! What? You make me feel old. <laughs> I made that no, same man, mistake don't, with Riddell Anthony. I got yelled at for it. No, dude, I made that mistake with Riddell Anthony. I got yelled at. You got to learn from my mistakes, dude. <laughs> Oh man, you're right. I shouldn't have done that. That's that's, that's a rookie year on my part. Right. Um, but hey, but hey, I'll, I'll just say this. So um, we were we had a great time at the game, and obviously the Gators the Gators put on a show. But I remember being being the sly little kid that I was. It got to a point where I stopped cheering on the Gators and I started cheering on the reptiles because I knew that the the uh, the terrapins were also reptiles. So I felt like I'd make the uh, the Maryland fans happy too. <laughs> so, so, so the stand, the stands, my parents were like, go Gators. I'm like, go reptiles. I didn't know any better. <laughs> we had a, we went to a dinner uh, that night. And I still have this. Uh, we went to dinner, not, not that night, but early in the week um, with uh, Ralph Regan um, and Coach Spurrier. And uh, you have to sit in a certain seat and underneath your seat was this, was this uh, little note that say, you get whoever's sitting in this seat, they get the helmet that's on the table, which is half Gators, half Maryland. And I remember getting up. I remember, like, going and looking under the seat because Andre Davis comes over to me. He's like, listen, you got to find this, uh, this little paper underneath. Um, and I, I find the paper and I sit down. Nobody's sitting down except for me for, like, 15 minutes because I don't want anybody to get that seat, right? So I get the helmet. And I go over to Coach Spurrier and go over to Coach, uh, Coach Friesen and have him sign it. And I still have it right now. I have it in my house right now. We're unpacking. 
And it's usually one of the helmets that I put up uh, in my office. So um, I, I love that helmet uh, just because I think mean, it was my last game one, and then half of it is a special part of me because my brother played there, right? So, and that was a lot of fun, beat him. I'm sure you've gotten asked this before, but we look forward to getting your thoughts. Why did you become a Gator? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I, like you're oh, – these are good questions, man, really good questions. But I don't think the answer is going to be what you think it is. Uh, I grew up – oh, so I grew up – my dad's a huge uh, Hurricane fan, okay? So I grew up a huge Hurricane fan. I was going to Miami, no question about it. Coach, Coach, uh, Coach Stevens was the guy that recruited me, and he knew I was going – Alex is going to, he's going to Miami, no question about it. I took my visits uh, to Florida State. I took a visit to Auburn. Auburn was the only school that wanted me to play quarterback. So I played quarterback in high school. And um, then I get to, okay, Miami. And then uh, one of their players uh, get killed. Uh, they got mm -hmm. killed down there. And uh, my mom comes in and she's like, um, yeah, you're not going there. I was like, okay. Um, all right, where do I want to go then? So Andre Davis, this was the week, this was the week after, so Florida won the national title, then the recruits went down and they had this celebration on the field. And Andre Davis, who I've been friends with since like fifth grade, okay, Andre is still my best friend, all right, outside of my wife, of course, but, um, <laughs> so, but Andre comes home, he gets to his house and he calls me, he's like, Alex, listen, I... Um, I know you, I know you say you're going to Miami this week, but you got to take that last visit to Florida. And I was like, well, mom said, I can't go to Miami. So he's like, Cut. okay, all right, all right, you got to go to Florida. So I call Coach Stevens and they say, yeah, come on. The best thing that happened to me during that time was that Mike Peterson was my host. It was the best thing that happened to me because he was very honest. He was a really good dude. Um, and he told me that if I came in and I was, and I could play, they let me play. So, I mean, and this is coming from a guy that's Mike Peterson was that guy. And now you got Javon Curse and you got Johnny Rutledge and still yet he's looking me in my eye telling me that if you can play, they're going to give you a shot to play. I was like, all right, cool. And I felt like I fit with them. So the speed of the game, like running and, Stuff like that. I felt like I was that type of athlete. I could play with them. Um, not, I didn't know two years later I'd be moving to defensive end. But, I mean, at the time I thought as a linebacker I could play um, in this system. So, and Coach Stoops was great. Uh, so, everything just kind of fit, man. Everything kind of fit perfectly. And I was there, I think, my, maybe six hours. And I told my parents, I was like, I'm coming here. And that was it. So, real quick, because it's the lightning round. Uh -huh. What was your favorite part about that five-sack game you had against Tennessee? We won. That's, that's it. Nobody remembers that game as much um, if we lose. So uh, we had to win. That was the biggest thing about that game. I know everybody talks about it weekend or every, every year, but if we lose that game, we're, we're in trouble. Uh, we're not in trouble, but it's just not as special if we lose that game. So uh, I think that's the best part of it. Yeah, and what many of our listeners don't realize is just like currently the winner of the Florida-Georgia game mm -hmm. would be the SEC champion. Yep. In, in, 
Well, you're playing in Florida. It was the, the Florida-Tennessee game. That was the de facto East Championship game. Correct. Correct. That's what it was. Nobody really cared about Georgia. Nobody – I mean, they, they always talked like they were good, and Coach Brady kind of put it the best when he said, they always seem to get the five-star recruits, but we always win. So, and that was it. Like, that, it just seemed that way. It seemed like they would always get all these great players, and we would always win the game. So, um, a couple of times I thought they had better teams, but nobody really – thought that they would actually beat us. So it was think, Tennessee, Florida, definitely. I think the quote was, why is it that during recruiting season, they have all the great players, but when it comes time to play the game, we have all the great players. I don't understand that. What happens to them? <laughs> That's it. That's it. That, that is it, word for word, yes. So as we already talked about, you had a great career at Florida, mm-hmm. uh, big-time sack leader, and then you go on to play in the NFL and you go from being a, uh, a Gator athlete to um, an alumni and a fan. What was your favorite game to watch as a fan of all time? The 2008 national championship game. My wife and I flew down um, and they beat up uh, Oklahoma. So that game was the, was a great game. And I got to watch, and I was on, on the sideline. I got on the field, took a, took a picture with Tebow that I still have um, up on uh, upstairs. Uh, right now it's upstairs. I saw it a couple of days ago walking by. And he's, he's coming off the field, and we're just kind of screaming like, oh, yeah, like at each other. Yeah. It was awesome, man, awesome. So he's um, – so that game probably. that they Oklahoma had this crazy, crazy offense – and they just hadn't seen a defense like ours. And um, I was yeah. told that our defense would win that game, and they did. They did. No one expected Everyone thought it would be a shootout. So yes. the fact yes. that it was the Gator defense that won that yep. game, super yep. big deal. I mean, to stop Oklahoma on the goal line twice, mm-hmm. no, nothing yep. like it. Beautiful defensive performance. So what is your favorite stadium to play in college, not named the Swamp. Man, I, I, I really like playing at Neyland. Um, I really liked it. It was a lot of people. It was huge. Everybody hated you, you know. Um, <laughs> like, to play in a place where everybody hates you and there's 100,000 people, like, you're like, whoa. Like, if you do something good, you know they can't stand you, you know. It's just – it was great to play there. But playing in Jacksonville is probably the most special one because at no point in time – outside of commercials, I guess, is that place quiet. So whether it's a good play or a bad play, somebody's screaming, you know? So, like, half of the stadium is screaming. So yeah, that makes it great. And then the whole rivalry uh, between Florida and Georgia is just – I mean, it just gives it that much more. So um, I love playing there, uh, not necessarily because of the stadium itself, but because of everything that happened inside the stadium. So, so we have to ask you, do you have a favorite Steve Spurrier story? Mm, Steve Spurrier story, man. <sighs> I'm not sure if, uh, if, if everybody watching is familiar with why I wore the number 13. So um, my cousin wore it in, at Tusculum, Tennessee. He was killed in a car accident my 10th grade year. And I said that I would wear 13 if I could, when I, when I got to college. So I get to Florida and um, Mike Harris had it, but I redshirted my first year. So he had it that year 
And when he left, so I'm walking through the hall. And at the time, I want to say I had number 47 or something. I had some 48, something crazy. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I need to get out of this thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, and Coach Spurrier and Jamie Speronis, they're walking on the treadmill together. They're doing their little workout. And I walk by and I'm like, okay. Because me, I mean, I'm, I'll say it. I was like, all right, don't just walk by. If you, this might be your chance to ask him, just go ask him. So I walked up to Coach, and I was like, Coach, uh, so um, I gave him the story about my cousin, and I really want to wear 13 if that's okay. And he looks at me, but not like at me. He looks through the mirror at me, you know? So I have to look at the mirror to look at him in his eyes, right? So he's like, all right. And in his voice, he's like, if you don't play well, I'm going to take it from you. I'll say, <laughs> all right, no problem. I'll play well. <laughs> and then I got away quick for he changed his mind. So, Excellent. Uh, he's like, no, no, no. He said, then he stopped. He's like, no, no, no. Go tell him. Go tell him what I said. Tell him you can get 13. So I had to go down to the equipment uh, place and tell him, hey, Coach Spurrier said I can get 13. And they changed everything then. And I was 13 from that point on. So that's the <laughs> – that's, that's how I got my number. So – well, you definitely played well. I would say you definitely earned that. <laughs> Thank you. Stats yeah. don't lie, man. Well, hey, y'all. Uh, true. That's true. That's a that's a great story. Well, well, hey, at least you didn't get all right, my man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh man. Well, the rest is history. So let's go ahead and move on. Since you mentioned jerseys, uh, what was your favorite jersey combination as a Gator? I, I didn't like uh, white ever, so <laughs> I thought white made me look bigger, so I didn't like white, uh, so blue, we didn't have a crazy ton, so give me the white pants and the blue jersey, I'm good, you know, give me that. Oh, how about on the road? Oh, on the road? Um, is that, that's always all white, isn't it? Well, it, it, I mean, you got to wear the white shirts, but you can wear blue or orange pants. Yeah, give me the orange pants. Orange pants white unless we're in Tennessee then obviously we probably have to wear something different but give me give me the orange pants and a white jersey uh I don't the white on white I, I swear I just look 280 out there I'm 250 and I look 280 I'm a, I just didn't like it I had, I had it my first my second year at the Bears and they had all white and I was like gosh like, I hate that all white man I don't like it either. Hey, man. last question. So don't worry. I mean, just because our colors are orange and blue, like we should display yeah. them more. Yes, agreed. I wish I could have had the helmet with the F on it. Though. I wish I could have worn that, but I never got a chance to wear that. that. I think that's a really, really cool helmet. That's true. I do agree with that. Hey, man. So we got one more question, and this is going to segue perfectly to our discussion <laughs> about the Tennessee-Florida game. Yep. So – what does the Florida-Tennessee rivalry mean to you? And is it a legitimate rivalry today? The second, second part of that question, absolutely not. It's not. I mean, it's, it's actually – they're a joke. They're, they're terrible. They need to get better so we can get, so we can get more into this, uh, into this rivalry. Because it is. It is uh, – some of the older guys, they remember when that Peyton Manning during that year, during those years, the – late 90s 2000 like those are some really good years um with um you got 
I think it was Jamal Lewis and Travis Henry, and um, you got like you had some really really talented players there, and that was a hard game. Now we won uh, with Peyton. We won. We won all of them against Peyton. But the the next four, the next few games, next three games, like they beat us. You know, they they took a couple from us. So it wasn't it wasn't always easy uh, going to Neyland Stadium when they're good is a hard place to play, man. It's a, it's a really tough place to play. So, um, yeah, I love the rivalry. I think the older guys my age, maybe, um, maybe a couple classes after me, they still understand the rivalry. But once you got, got to Tebow's group, I don't – I mean, it was, just, it was just a matter of we're going to beat the crap out of these guys. They're not very good, you know. So they don't remember when Tennessee and Peerless Price and those guys, when they actually won the national title and they were – really good so um yeah that's i don't think it is what it is uh i don't think it's what it's not what it used to be but hopefully they can get better and uh they can find a coach that they can stick with but truthfully i don't give a damn if they're good or not let's keep beating the hell out of them see that's what i say everyone or not everyone but there's there's a good portion of people on twitter or facebook whatever who say i wish fsu was good again i wish tennessee was good again i missed the rivalry like why why don't let's just keep beating them and getting free wins and taking their recruits because if we're good enough we're gonna get big time games that we'll remember forever against Oklahoma, Ohio State, Clemson. We'll get our games that will never be forgotten against really good teams. Let's keep them in the dust and let's keep – I mean, I don't get it. I don't know if those people remember when uh, Florida State was really, really good and it went to like four national titles in a row. Like, I don't want them to be that good anymore. No, I don't. (laughs) So they were really, really good. I like them at two and six and struggling to keep enough players on the field. Me I mean, that's just, I like them running away from games. Like they ain't nothing wrong with them. They're just they just don't want to go on the field and get their head beat in by Clemson. They don't want to go on the field or no Virginia. Way. Or um, Virginia. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, we got a lot to talk about with uh, with our current team. It is fun talking about how much we like laughing at them in their misery. Uh, speaking of which, before we move on to the to the the game portion of our conversation, the day that this <laughs> drops. 6,283 days since Tennessee beat Florida in the swamp. Love it. Think about that. Love that's it. just that's just something. Um, but, yeah, let's, let, let's talk let's some football. Let's do it. Let's so, do it. Let's, start, let's start with the defensive side of the ball, which is the side that you played on. Um, also, the side of the ball that's drawn the most criticism from fans so far this year, because Florida's defense has had some stretches where they've played well, but they've had some stretches where they have not. So, what have you seen from this defense that you've liked, and what have you seen from this defense that you have not liked so far this year? Um, I, think, I think they're a very opportunistic defense. Um, I think they – you, you can drive the ball down the field. They do give up too many points. Uh, you, to beat the good teams, you're not going to be able to give up those points. Where, and, it's, and it's simple points. It's when guys are running wide open, so there's a bus coverage. There's miscommunication on the back end. There's, uh, the defensive line isn't getting home where the quarterback has way too much time. Those things right there bother me. Uh, the missed tackles when you got a team that just runs the ball at you. We miss tackles or we seem disinterested in tackling a big guy. So 
And that's it. That's the only one. If we're going to beat Bama, then we have to fix that because Najee Harris is a real, real running back. And he's already breaking tackles, so you don't need to give him any by missing a few tackles. So um, as far as uh, offense, I, mean, I think the offense kind of speaks for itself, but um, they're, they're fantastic. Uh, but the, the defense, if we can just stop the run, um, make sure we tackle well. And then I think we have some good pass rushers uh, on the edge that can get to the quarterback. We have pretty good corners um, with don't like. I think they should be really good uh, because we're DBU. So be top-notch corners, guys that are put out there to do a job and shut down receivers, and they do it. So there's a one-on-one situation when we're sending a blitz and a guy's on one-on-one, he has to win those 50-50 balls that's thrown up, and we're not winning. Uh, we're winning 60-40, um, and that's just too much. We have to win more. Well, hey, Alex, you're a student of the game, and I, I, I want to give you an opportunity to educate our listening audience on some defensive line and defensive football. Mm-hmm. One thing that has been mentioned at nauseum concerning the Florida Gator defense is at times they're not gap sound. What what have you seen in in the Florida Gators uh, defensive front where they've not been gap sound? What can they do to improve in attacking the right gap, and how do they fix that? I, I, and honestly, I think it's pretty simple. So with, it, it really bothers me that it hasn't been fixed um, yet. I think that guys, when you're night twenty twenty one and you're trying to make plays, you want to go to the league, obviously everybody's just because they want, they want to be seen. They want to get their name called. But you can't make every play. And I think that's what we're having. We're having guys trying to make all the plays. And that's what you do. You, you get out of your gap, trying to make a tackle, and then the ball comes through your gap. When you're playing a gap defense, if everybody does their job, you're going to make your plays. You're not going to make like, – you're not going to have um, – uh, Cox Jr. makes Slayton plays. You're not going to have uh, Carter make uh, Miller plays. You know, like everybody's going to make their plays. And if you do that, then everybody will get their plays done. You know, everybody will get those big plays, but you can't make all of them. And I think that's what happens when you see two guys in a gap. You got somebody trying to do too much. Just do your job. It's really simple. Do your job. And all the jobs will get done. There's 11 jobs to be done on the field. So if everybody does their job, um, the job will get done. And that's you uh, making it hard for that offense. Now, sometimes, I mean, they practice too. So, I mean, sometimes they make a play. But if you do your job consistent enough, it'll be tough for them to go 12, 13 plays down the field and score on you. So and a lot of times we're getting those um, where you have nine guys or 10 guys doing their job. And it's making everybody else look bad because you got that one guy or those two guys not doing the job. So now I have to ask you a question about the coaching on defense because we all saw Dan Mullen light into Todd Grantham on the sideline. And I think he was funneling a lot of frustrations that a lot of fans had in Todd Grantham's direction. I think whether he realized it or not, he was screaming on behalf of hundreds of thousands of Gator fans who, for one reason or another, are kind of tired of some of the things he does, particularly not stacking the box and giving Kentucky easy lanes to run through. So what's your opinion on Todd Grantham? Um, I kind of – I really uh, put a lot on players. Um, The coaches, they don't make tackles. 
They don't, uh, they don't get off blocks. The coach can only put you in the best position to make plays. And I think he's doing that. I think he's, he's for the most part, I think he's doing a pretty good job of putting the guys in position to make plays. Now the guys have to make the plays. And if he continues to put the guys in position to make plays and they continue to not make plays, when I start to put it on the coach is when he continues to put that guy out there. That's when I start to look at the coach. So I'm not really looking at um, Ty Grantham right now as far as him not doing a good job. It's the guys got to make plays, man. They have to make plays. When he calls the right, the right defense and it's one-on-one coverage, but we got a blitz coming, well, that's the defense he called. So do your job as a corner or do your job as a safety and come down in the hole and make a tackle. So, like, those, those things, I, I tend to lean – towards the players doing their job as opposed to saying the coach isn't doing his job. I think he's actually doing a pretty good job putting the guys in position to make plays. Now, at that particular moment, maybe there was something that coach needed to say. So uh, that coach Mullen needed to say to him that he wasn't getting done. Okay, I can, yeah, I can absolutely, I can absolutely see that. Hell, I saw Coach Spurrier and, um, and Coach Stoops get into it. So, and we all know how great a coach Coach Stoops was, you know. But there are times where, I mean, coaches argue. Coaches have differences of opinion. Um, or the boss, which is, in this case, Coach Mullen, he don't believe he's doing what he's supposed to be doing or what they talked about. So, hey, you let him have it for a little bit, and then it's over. It's not something that I think carries on, you know. So I think that one thing that some fans have really gotten on him for that I do think is legitimate is there are guys who are younger than some of the starters who have balled out when they've gotten their chances, like Tyron Hopper, like Travis Johnson, who have come in and, and balled. They've done great. And fans want to see them play more, and they haven't played a ton. So you think that's something that's more valid, or do you think that that's something that we should just learn to trust the coaches on? Well, I think, I think we should trust the coaches because they are at practice every day. Okay, so um, the guys you mentioned, I mean, maybe they're, maybe they're good in certain packages, right? So that's what they know. That's what they're comfortable with. And if you put them out there in a different package and the guy doesn't know what the hell he's supposed to do, or in practice you can run all the scenarios that you want, but you get out in a game and that one scenario that you didn't go over, and now he's like a deer, with it, a deer in headlights. He has no idea what to do. So – when the coach puts him out there, that's when I believe that player should know what he's supposed to do. Because if he doesn't, then that's the coach's fault. So if a coach puts a guy out there that doesn't know what he's supposed to be doing, then that's the coach's fault. When he doesn't put him out there, that's his fault too. You know, like it's, I mean, he's, he can't win in that situation, you know. So I, I think we should trust the coaches um, absolutely to a degree um, on – the things that they're doing with the team because they see them a lot more than we see them, you know? So we'll assume that Florida wins at least one of their next two games. Mm -hmm. And that would, of course, set up a matchup with Alabama. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't want to look too far ahead here. We still have two games left in the regular season. But from what you've seen, Alex, what does Florida have to work on the most in these next two games to be prepared for that showdown versus the Crimson Tide. Exactly what we talked about um, just now. We talked about them being gap sound. They have to be gap sound and they have to tackle. They uh, Alabama, they can 
and they will if you show weakness, they will run the ball 20 times in a row. They don't have to throw it. So they have an offensive line that's really good. They have a running back that I believe is probably the best running back in, in the conference, uh, one of the top uh, running backs in the, in the country. Uh, he's, Harris is good, man, and he will break tackles. We have to gain tackle, and we have to be gap sound. If we're not, and they can play action and beat us on those plays, that's when we get in trouble. And that's when you start to look at um, Traz um, on the other side and say, hey, man, keep us in the game because we're not going to be able to stop them. So it, it'll, it'll fall back to being opportunistic and trying to get a tip ball or interception or a takeaway that way. Um, then we can get the ball back to offense and maybe we can jump ahead right there. But we will have to be gap sound and we will have to tackle a lot better than what we have been through up, up in the season. It's been said that the biggest gap on the field is the C gap. And the job of a defensive end to contain what comes outside is vital to how an entire defense works. You know, you can have the most gap sound defense in the middle of the field, but if you can't contain anything, you're gonna you're gonna lose some one on one battles outside. So that is true. And um what what I will say with that is Containing, there's a fine line between it. I had to learn it when I got to the NFL with Coach Lovey Smith. It's you still have to squeeze that B gap because you can you don't want to contain so much that 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 B gap gets so wide now that the linebacker can't really do his job and make that play in the B gap now. So the defensive end, yeah, he has to be conscious of not letting anything get outside of him but he also has to be conscious of making sure he squeezes that gap and don't allow that tackle to push him to widen that gap. So now that running back has a two-way to go on that linebacker coming downhill in that B gap. So you want to be shooting fish in a barrel there. And I like to take some credit for Lance Briggs becoming a Hall of Famer because I did that very well. <laughs> hey, that point taken. So he better mention you in his Canton speech. He better mention yeah, you in his Canton speech. Better. I won't be there. He better. He better. Erlacher did. Erlacher did. He better. Oh yeah. Yeah, man. So being a former defensive end, Alex, I just wanted to ask you about Zach Carter. Mm-hmm. So obviously he had a ton of hype coming into the season. Yep. All the pictures of him uh, being transformed by the Nick Savage weight program. Um, what do you think of Zach Carter? Has he lived up to expectations, and what can he do to improve his game? Um, I think he has. Uh, I, I think he has lived up to him. I think he's still – he's only scratched the surface, man. He's only scratched the surface of, the, uh, of his ability and what he can do. He's so big, so quick. Um, he make, and he makes plays. Like, he makes plays in the biggest moments, right? And, and those are the guys that you really want and that, you re- that really stand out are the guys when it's third and ten, he don't have to get a sack, but you get pressure. You get a tip ball. You get, you get pressure on the quarterback, and he has to throw it a little bit early. Now that's an interception. He may not get any credit for that in the long run, but any football fan that's truly watching the game they understand who actually made that play. 
he makes a lot of those plays. He makes a lot of plays that won't show up in the, on the score sheet at the end of the day, you know? So, but he also makes a lot of other plays. He also makes tackles for loss. He gets the sacks. So I just, I like what he's doing. Just keep doing it, man. Keep working. I follow him on Instagram. Um, I actually sent him my number a couple, uh, a couple weeks ago. I told him, give me a call. He said, he was asking me questions about uh, what can he do to get better? Uh, what can he, what do I see? Um, hands, use your hands more. Don't, don't allow those big guys to get on you. You know, you got to keep them off. And that's something I had to learn. You can't run by everybody. You have to actually, there's going to be some, some close fighting in there where you got to be able to get that guy's hands off of you and not be there or not be in that same spot when you knock him down. You knock him down and then you move and then you can make a play. So, uh, but I like what he's doing. I think he's a hell of a talent. I think he's going to, um, I think he'll definitely play at the next level, um, assuming that that's what he wants, you know? Obviously a big-time player, and I know, again, this is the, the Florida Tennessee podcast, but if we can fast-forward to the Alabama game, a big matchup that probably won't be discussed but needs to be discussed is the matchup between Zach Carter and Alex Leatherwood, the big-time offensive tackle for Alabama. As a defensive lineman who had great success in the NFL against some, some incredible talent, um, on the offensive line, what does Zach Carter and, and other defensive linemen on the Gators need to do to not allow Leatherwood to have dominant plays like he's you had? You've got to switch it up. Um, there's, there's not one thing. And what, what's so ironic about this is that I learned that lesson against Alabama, and it was Chris Samuel that actually taught me that lesson so that I can't just run by everybody because up to that point, I was just a speed guy. I was just running up the field. I'll beat everybody on the edge, and that just that wasn't going to work against him. So you had to come up with something else. So you got to show him something and take it away. And then as they get better, uh, the tackles get better. You might have to do two or three things um, to take it away or to actually beat them, you know. So these guys are really good. Um, you will not – I'm not going to say it won't happen. Um, he might run by him once. But that's not going to be – that's not the formula for beating a guy like that. You know, a top talent in the, in the country at the position, there's that's not a formula to beat him. You're, you're going to have to get close contact. You're going to have to give him a lot of different things. But fortunately for Zach, he has all those tools in his toolbox. You know, he can run by him. He can show the bull rush. He can bull rush, pull, and swim. You know, he can get up the field, make – stick his foot in the ground and get inside on him. So he has all these moves in his toolbox and he will need them. If we're going to be successful and we stop the run or at least contain the run to an extent, they will be in third and eight, third and nine, second and 10, second and 11. And that's when we're going to need that pass rush to come out. And if we win, if we win that game, I'm going to say it today. Zach will be a big part of it. He'll be a big part of us winning that game. Yeah, one more question before Neil takes it away with some questions about the Florida Gator offense. As a, as a defensive end, what is more important to you, proper footwork or proper hand placement? Well, you can't have one. You can't have the hand placement without the footwork. It just it won't work. So I'll go foot placement because if, you're, if your feet are right, your hands will be right. So you, you need to you, – it starts from the ground up. 
your hands, your feet, I'm sorry, your, your feet have to be right, and then your hands will go where they should go. Like, if you step straight, your hands will come out, you're going to hit the guy exactly where you want to hit him so you can control him. If you can't control him and he's controlling you, well, let's go back a little bit because last I checked, they're bigger than us. You know, I weigh 250. I'm going against a guy like Brian McKinney who's 370 pounds. He's 6'8", 370. <laughs> if my feet aren't right, I'm in trouble, you know? So your feet got to be right. You got to make sure you're making everything look the same. And I think that's something that all of them should work on. Defensive, the defensive line especially, work on making everything look the same because you don't want to give anything away. Get to the next level they're looking for. They're looking for anything that will give you away, just like what you're looking for. Like there was a, there was a, um, a left tackle for – gosh, I'm trying to think who it was. Mm, I can't remember. Might have, it's uh, I, I, it slips my mind. Who it was, but the tendency was, if he had his hand on his hip, it was a pass, hundred percent. If he put his hand in the ground, it was a run, hundred percent. It's like, okay, well, he's telling me what they're doing. I don't care if you come out four wide. If he put his hand in the ground, it is a run. If you come out three tight ends, if he's not, don't have his hand in the ground, it is a pass. So those little things, and it's and it pre-snap stuff. It's stuff that you can learn about this particular play. And this is how crazy the game is broken down. It's not you study for this game all week, now I know the game. No, no, no. There's a game within the game, and then a game within that game because there's your individual battles that you have. So if you win your individual battles, when I would win my individual battle, it didn't. if Lito or uh, Benny Alexander got beat, well, I could, I could help and I could make up for that. Or if I'm not, it's taken. Or if, uh, if Chad Clifton has me locked up and I can't even get off the block, but they're covering, which gives me four or five seconds, another second and a half to get home, well, then that helps. So you have to play off each other and – I think that's why the secondary and the defensive line, the linebackers are kind of those guys, whatever. But the secondary and the D-line, they work hand-in-hand, hand, man, hand-in-hand. Hand. They have to be on the same page. Um, if they're not, then it, it's very hard for a defense to be a top defense. I played on the number one defense in the league, uh, in the NFL, number one defense, and that, that was the formula. Nathan Vasher and Charles Tillman Peanut, they knew – Three seconds, that ball's coming out. It's well, coming out. It has to where he will be set. I'm sure that Mike Peterson and Andre Davis are going to really appreciate you just going. The linebackers are eh, <laughs> eh, eh, just like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'll be sure to forward that to them. They'll love hearing that. Yeah, um, <laughs> so let's move over to the offensive side of the ball now, the side that you yeah. set out to destroy. And I wanted to ask you about the position that you had to match up against on every snap, the offensive line. Florida's offensive line yep. wasn't really that good last year. I mean, it wasn't awful in pass protection, but it was awful in the run blocking game. And this year, it's become a legitimate strength of the team with virtually the same guys back. I mean, Nick, Nick Buchanan left, but Stone Forsyth, Brad Heggie, Richard Garage, Ethan White, they're all back. And they're a much better unit. So what I'd like to do is have you give a sort of sort of praise 
pie, so to speak, and let you fill in the pie chart with your percentages of responsibility for the improvement. So okay. the, the players, offensive line coach, John Hevesy, strength and conditioning coach, Nick Savage. Who do you think is the most responsible for the improvement? Is it 33, 33, 33? Is it half players, half coaches? Is it all the players? Is it all the coaches, et cetera? You know what? I, I think it's some players that you didn't even name. I, I do think it's a little bit of the coaches. I give them, I give the coaches 20%. Let's give the coaches 20%. And I'll give um, I'll give the offensive line themselves, uh, just them growing and becoming better and understanding that if they come together and play better together, um, I'll give that 30%. So that's 50. The other 50% I'm going to give to Cal Trask and the position players because this is what – they don't have to block very long because you have a quarterback that's back there. He knows where he's going with the football because he can actually read a defense. He actually knows what the defense is trying to do. The receivers get open so he doesn't have to hold the ball that long. So it's, it all works together, man. It's never just truly just one thing. If, if the offensive line did their job but the receivers didn't get open, what are you going to have? You're going to have a sack after six, seven seconds of Kyle holding the ball. He's going to try to run, which we all know he can't do. Um, he's going to – and Kyle, I, I love Kyle. I talk to Kyle uh, through Instagram too, man. Uh, but <laughs> but he, he's, uh, he's not going to make it too far running. So the guys are going to – they're going to get it. So the offensive line can do their job. If the receivers don't get open, um, then it's off or not, right? So everybody has to do their job. But when you have a, a in my opinion, I think he's the best quarterback in the, in the country, and I think he should win the Heisman. I mean, as of this point, I think he, he's the leader, uh, no question about it, to win the Heisman. Um, and then you have these position players. You have, like, dynamic players. Tony, you got uh, Cal Pitts. You got Grimes. Like, these guys are unbelievable especially one-on-one. -on -one. Like, you, you leave them one-on-one, -on -one, you're in trouble. You know, like, they're going to crush you. So they get open. The quarterback recognizes what the defense is trying to do. So it puts the offensive line in a position, and I don't want to make it seem like I'm taking anything away from their improvement from last year because I'm not. I just think because everybody else has improved around them, yes, everybody's level of play has gone up. That's fair, and you and you did sort of steal my next question. But I mean, it it is it is it is worth noting the um, incredible improvement from a year ago. Because last year you had guys looking around like they didn't know what they were doing. I mean, Dustin was just talking to you about gaps last year. There were no gaps last year. They were all just crashed through. There there was no running room. Yes, Trask had some time to throw, yep. but. I mean, not a ton, nothing compared to what he has this year. It has been a night and day improvement. And I think it's worthwhile, or I, I think it's worth noting that the other guys have stepped up around them. Sure, they deserve some credit there. But this offensive line has gone from pretty bad to a real strength of this team. And I think that is something that a lot of people have noticed and wanted us to hit on with this pod. So, you know, to those of you listening, there we go. We got it. We got you. Um, so the last question about Florida specifically, and then we'll turn our, our attention to the matchup against Tennessee. Uh, you mentioned Kyle Trask. Florida probably has the best quarterback in the nation. You can make a case for Trevor Lawrence, for Justin Fields, or Mac Jones. I happen to think it's Trask. But, again, he's definitely one of them. He's the Heisman favorite as of now. Meanwhile, Kyle Pitts is the Mackey favorite, the best tight end in the country. I don't even think that's a debate. And 
there's not much to say about them aside from just how great they are because we've said that and the media said that repeatedly since the season started. So that leaves us with the rest of the position, guys. As great as Pitts is, Florida's going to need someone to step up between now and December 19th in Atlanta if they're going to beat Alabama. So who do you think that is? Do you think that's Tony? you think that's Grimes? Do you think it's Daquan Wright? Or do you think it's someone new that we don't even know about right now? No, I, I think it would be one of those three. Um, it, it would be either Pitts playing out of his mind no matter what they do because I think he has the talent to, to reach a level like that. It'll be Grimes because uh, it could be Grimes because if there's one of those guys, one of those three that I want one-on-one, I mean, not to say Grimes can't beat it because he's shown all year that he can beat one-on-one. He can beat double covers. Hell, he made a catch in the, in the end zone over two guys uh, not long ago. So, But he can make plays, whether that's man coverage, but if there's a – I mean, you got to pick your poison here, right? So, I mean, I'm going with – I'm going to go with trying to make Grimes beat me. I mean, you come into this game. I mean, if you're an opponent, you're going to come into this game and you're going to say to yourself, well, Pitts is not going to beat me. So we're going to do everything we can to stop Pitts. And Tony, well, he's shown that he can beat you. So the next focus goes to Tony, right? And then you're going to look at your defensive line to get pressure on trash. So the one guy that's not really at the forefront is Grimes. So if Grimes can make them balance up their defensive scheme for that game, it's over because you, Pitts is going to come alive mid to end of the second quarter, and then you're in trouble because Grimes is balling, Pitts is balling, he's giving you a headache, and now here goes Tony with something crazy where he just makes 12 people miss. He made one guy miss twice, and he scores a touchdown. Like, he's just – he's insane, man. He can do that. He can make multiple guys miss – or he, he can make you miss multiple times per play. It is it is quite frightening to try to tackle him, I imagine. Thankfully, I don't have to do it. I imagine it wouldn't be too much fun well, for hey, you Alex. to do it. You know what? What I do – okay, I'm going to tell you what I do. I wouldn't dance with him. I'm going to take my shot at him, and I'm going to make sure that if I miss, you miss him back inside to the defense. You can't miss him, and he goes outside away from the defense. So you have to make him make a move inside. If he makes a move outside, you smoke him. Because you're you're headed for that outside leg, so but you, if you dance with him, you're gonna lose because he's too shifty. So that's what I would do. Now I could look silly, or I could like look like an amazing athlete because I just hit Tony in the chest and blew him up. So one of the two, you know. If you yeah. dance with him, there's an 88% chance you're gonna look like an idiot. So don't right. dance with him. Hey, well, hey Alex, it's time to get to the trask at hand. <laughs> And that's to discuss. That's awesome. Another dad joke. You like that, right? <laughs> Dustin is the king of dad Never jokes fails, on the show. And the funny part about that is I'm the, I'm the youngest of all the guys that, that do the, the pod. So. That's true. That's <laughs> I guess that's saying something. Yep. <laughs> that's to talk about the, the game against the balls. Mm. So it's very clear. We've already talked ad nauseum about your time as a Gator and what the game against Tennessee meant. Mm -hmm. Obviously, this is not the same Tennessee team of 2001, of 99. What, is, what would you say is the big difference 
and why has Tennessee fallen so far? I, I think it's stability at the top, top, man. They haven't been able to find a coach that they can uh, lean on that um, that you can bring in that a bunch of 17, 18, 19-year-old kids, um, even the 20, 21-year-old kids that you have there, uh, respect from day one, honestly. Um, and then you got to have a good recruiter. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot to be said about what some of these coaches are doing that's been to these places, like Ference at Iowa, um, like what Nick Saban's doing, like what Coach Mullen has done in such a small period of time. And dare I say, what, what the coach at Georgia's doing. I mean, it's just being able to recruit um, is, a, is a talent, man. You got to be able to do that. And they haven't found a coach that can actually do that. Um, and you have to be a guy that these kids respect. And these kids will follow and run through a brick wall for because at 17 to 21, man, I, I know how I felt. I felt like Superman. I'd run through a wall. I, all I had to do was believe in my coach. And that wasn't very hard to do when you got Coach Spurrier as your coach. So I was, uh, I was ready to go. But I think that's what they're missing. And it starts at the top. And then as it trickles down, they have to, they have to recruit better. They got to stop letting guys get out of them. Um, First, they got to stop letting guys get out of Tennessee. Um, they have to get those local guys first and then be able to go in and steal a guy out of Bama or out of Georgia, um, be able to go to Arkansas or Missouri and get these top uh, recruits as there. They got to be able to do that. Um, if they can't, then they're, they're in trouble. I mean, I think they got, they got really lucky when they got Kamara, um, but he was at Alabama. And he came there because he just couldn't play at Alabama because they had too many guys. So – uh, you you have it starts at the top, and if they can um if they can change it, uh, get somebody uh, stable at the top, then I think they'll they'll be headed in the right direction. And they didn't really even get the most mileage they could have out of Kamara. They left a lot of no, potential potential yards and points out there on the field with him. Um, but so as we Dustin and you both mentioned this is not the same Tennessee team you used to play against at all. But this year's Tennessee team does have one thing in common with the last Tennessee team you played in your senior season. And that is that with a Florida loss on Saturday, they can ruin our season. Our title dreams are shot. And as we all know, in 2001, all Florida had to do was beat Tennessee in that December game in order to face an LSU team we'd already clobbered in Death Valley for the SEC championship. And had they won that, they're going to the Rose Bowl to face Miami for the national championship. So circumstances are a little different here in that Tennessee doesn't have any postseason aspirations themselves, but it is nonetheless another rare once in a generation meeting between Florida and Tennessee where the Vols can break Florida hearts and ruin their season. So with that in mind, if you could say anything to this year's team about how much this game against Tennessee means and how much that game in 2001 meant, what would you tell them? I'd tell them that it's a game that you'll never forget. It's a, you'll never forget this game right here. That next game, because they only get bigger. So you win this game, then the next game is the game that you'll never forget. And you'll never forget it if you lose it because it'll prevent you from reaching a lot of your, uh, a lot of goals that you set prior to the season. So, um, yeah, you, you can still get to the SEC championship um, by winning one of the next two, but that's not the goal. The goal is to win a national title. Obviously, you need to win the East. 
to get to get the opportunity to play in the SEC championship, then uh, you win the SEC championship, then you get an opportunity to get in the playoffs, and now you have that chance to go to um, to go on and win a national title. But this is one of those steps, and go out and if you play your best football and they play their best football, you beat them by forty. That's how much better this team is than Tennessee. Our our t- Tennessee was actually they had John Henderson and Albert Hainsworth and those guys. They were phenomenal. Okay, they they had some boys on that team that was that was just really really good, and they gave us fits. Um, but don't take it lightly, which I don't think they will. Um, I think uh, they came out a little slow uh, the past game um, against Kentucky. They came out a little slow. I don't think they'll do that this game. I think they're I think they're back. I think they'll they'll come out firing. I think this game, for all intents and purposes, I think this game will be over by halftime. To be honest, like I just don't think Tennessee has <clears throat> the firepower to kind of to stay with them. I mean, you give up they give up twenty four to Arkansas, you give up thirty to Auburn. I mean, we're talking the only team they truly like shut down was Kentucky. I mean, Kentucky scored. I think they. I don't think they scored ten points against them, but they shut they shut Kentucky down. So. Everybody else, I mean, everybody else moved the ball up and down the field uh, and scored points. So this team right here is on a four, five-game losing streak. Yeah, this this team right here is all but giving up, um, honestly, on the season. There's nothing really for them to play for. And like you said, this rivalry isn't like it used to be. So if we were playing this particular Tennessee team back in the day, well, then it'll be one of those games where you say you throw out the records and because this game right here, this is a rivalry game. That's not the case because these kids don't feel that way. This is this is nothing more than a Florida Kentucky game, right? So I mean, they it's a team that they're they believe like normally they beat, and if they come out and they play their best football, like I said, if they if they play their best and Tennessee plays their absolute best football, Florida's gonna beat them by 35, 40 points because there's when Florida's playing their best, there aren't many teams in the country that can play well. So as a quick follow-up to that, and then we'll get to our, our grand finale of the show where we put on our college game day attire and make picks and give keys and all that fun stuff. Um, but as a quick follow-up to that, I know Tennessee sucks. We all know that. But given what they did in 2001, do you think that going up there now in December and just blowing them away would get some sort of payback for that? Or do you think they're just two completely separate things and it's apples to oranges? Yeah, yeah they're yeah, they're just they're two different teams. There is two different teams. I think um I think Cal was just learning how to walk uh when we lost that game. So <laughs> these guys they don't remember that. That that's not even um that's not even it's not gonna play a part at all. I I'm one of the guys I don't believe like the history truly plays when we're t- Talking that far away because these guys don't remember that. The robbery now in the East is Florida, Georgia. If Florida doesn't, they actually, they actually like have seen Georgia win the SEC championship. They've seen Georgia go and play in a national championship. Whereas when I was playing, it wasn't them. That actual position 
where, at, where it was Tennessee who had went and won a national championship. It was Tennessee that, had, that was winning the SEC or representing the SEC East if we didn't represent. So it was two totally different times, and I just don't think – it's not going to be an issue. Like I said, Cal was, Cal was just learning how to walk. Both cows were just learning how to walk good, just started to run when we were playing. So um, these guys, they don't remember that. It's a uh, – this isn't going to be much of a game um, come middle of the third quarter. Well, I sure hope not. A lot less stress for us, right? <laughs> yeah, no. So Dustin's, Dustin was saying earlier that um, – or, or Dustin usually picks Florida to win by obscene numbers of points. And that's, I think, going to be the last item on our agenda tonight. Before we get into the verdict, I would be absolutely remiss if we did not talk about the weather going up to Knoxville after all this podcast is aptly named the in all kinds of weather forecast Mm -hmm. so before we put on our college game day attire I'm gonna put on my uh my meteorologist tie and we're gonna look at the weather uh for this particular game so it's expected to be cold um some forecasts say that it might be snowing later on in the evening Alex you you uh, played football in Chicago. Tell us about playing in cold weather and how this could potentially impact the Florida Gators against Tennessee. If it snows, it absolutely changes everything. It changes everything. The ball's different. Um, it's cold enough that the leather's harder. Um, I played in some really obscene weather. So I played in as, gosh, negative 23 degrees. And I play with no sleeves, nothing. You just go out and you play. But um, if it is, if it is snowing, that will change the game. And we have to, then we'll lean more on offensive line because we want to run the ball more. Um, You're not going to throw the ball around as much because Kyle, I mean, it'll feel different. I'm not sure. Uh, I knew it was tough for Rex because Rex had smaller hands um, for quarterback. So, if Kyle has the big hands where he can hold the ball, I've seen him not – he doesn't really have to have the laces when he throws the ball, so I assume he has bigger hands. Um, throwing the ball, it might not bother him as much. But the receivers, it will bother them. So hopefully they can get out and catch, um, catch a few balls beforehand and really get a feel for how this is going to be during the game because that cold weather is different, especially for a warm team, a warm-weather team. Uh, it is definitely different. It's definitely an advantage for the Tennessee Volunteers. Now, okay, I'll take it back, and I won't say if it's snowing, okay, we won't beat them by 40. We'll, be, we'll beat them by 28. Okay, great. Well, hey, I will say this. I just checked out the latest forecast from AccuWeather, and apparently the forecast for snow um, is actually not there anymore. It looks like it's going to be uh, 48 degrees. Uh, Partly cloudy or sunny, mm-hmm. so it should be a should be a good Saturday for football. Forty eight degrees ain't nothing to sneeze at, man. Forty eight degrees for I'm not sure what it is in Gainesville right now, but I know it's not forty. So um, it'll be different. I mean, it'll be a little chilly for one, but uh, if it's not snowing, then it's not. It, it doesn't hit that thirty anywhere in there. Then I, I think it'll uh, it won't bother the guys too much. Once it gets under forty degrees, started thirty eight, thirty seven somewhere around in there, even colder, then that football gets hard and the passing game changes a lot. I mean, you, 
I, I played against Brett Favre. I played against um, Aaron Rodgers up at Green Bay. And you see them throughout the season. Um, they're throwing the ball around all crazy. And then when December comes, December, January, they're throwing the ball 15, 20 times a game, but they're running the football all the time. Because when it gets cold, that ball's almost like a brick. It's like a, like a little brick. You, you don't want to throw that ball around like that. So um, you, you see it all the time up in the Midwest that it changes. The game changes as the year goes on. So it's time to wrap up our show with something we call the verdict. And Alex, this is where we go around and we get our keys to the game and then we'll, we'll go ahead and give that score pick. I know you're, you're uh, super excited to give us that pick for the game. So Alex, we'll, we'll go and start with you. What would you say the Gators' keys are on both offense and defense to beat the Volunteers? I, I, don't, think, I don't think the keys to winning ever changes. I think it's uh, uh, controlling the line of scrimmage, um, whether that's on the defensive side or offensive side. And then uh, depending on which side you're going to look at it, you can look at turnovers or you look at takeaways. So I think that's where you win football games, um, especially when uh, you got two teams on the spectrum here. Um, if you can take the ball away from Tennessee, um, make them turn the ball over, um, and you can control the line of scrimmage uh, from your defensive side and the offensive uh, side, then that, that is the key to victory. I don't think that changes. See, it's interesting that you say that because we, on this show, uh, we think that using turnovers slash takeaways is a cop-out because you could use that for any game. So, But it's interesting that you say that because – that means that for a team like Tennessee, they're really going to have to do that because Florida is just the more talented team. They, they're just so much more talented. They're better coached. They, I mean, they've been playing more recently than Tennessee. The balls have been off. So I think for Tennessee, if there's going to be a non-turnover key, it's how do you slow – Kyle Pitts, because you're not going to stop him. He's too big to put a corner on. Okay. He's too fast to put a linebacker on. So what do you do to limit his productivity? How do you stop him from catching 12 balls for 170 yards and five touchdowns? Because he might do that. Well, you keep him off the field. So you, you go back, and it goes back to what I was saying. You have, to, you have to control the line of scrimmage then. So if Tennessee can control the line of scrimmage and – put together first down after first down, put together those 12, 13, 14 play drives, um, making sure they don't get behind the sticks. They're not in third and 12s. They're not in third and 13s. They don't uh, shoot themselves in the foot by having a 12-yard run and then they get called back for holding. Now you're in a first and 10 or first and 20 situation. So uh, you just can't have those plays. Like speaking from the Tennessee side, how could they win this game? They have to keep that high-flying offense off the field. And you do that by controlling the ball and time of possession. They have to dominate time of possession. If they do, then, yeah, they can have they – they really have a chance to win. But that's with anyone. If you dominate time of possession and you can keep that offense off the field, then, I mean, you don't – your defense isn't tired. They can go out. They go out and get a three and out, and you're back on the field. Like, you're, you've had two possessions – and the first quarter is over. You know what I mean? So that's how they can win this football game. The other way I would say is that Jared Garantano just comes out and plays like Kyle Trask. But let's be real, that's not very likely to happen. Yeah, yeah. But he's got it. Oh, yeah. I mean, 
I mean, in all, in all, in all seriousness, though, he does have to play the game of his life. He's not Kyle Trask. We know he's not. We've seen him be not Kyle Trask before against Florida, but he has to play the best game of his life because if you have a quarterback, you're never really out of a game. How about you, Dustin? What are your keys? Hey, it's simple. On defense, you got to stop Eric Gray. Assume I know that a lot is in the air. Um, concerning COVID-19 and whether certain players are going to play or not. But when you look at a Tennessee volunteer offense, which has been downright disgusting all year, um, one bright spot on that offense has been the play of Eric Gray, their running back. 651 yards, four touchdowns, an average of 4.9 yards per carry. That's pretty good considering – the opponent, the the defenses that Tennessee's had to play throughout the year, so it's going to be incredible. We talked about it earlier in the pod. It's going to be very important to uh, contain him if he if he uh, slips outside or if he goes up the A or the B gap. It's going to be important to fit the gap to make sure that he gets down. Don't let him get in the secondary. Mm-hmm. So often we see issues where our safeties aren't making plays. And a 10 to 15 yard gain turns into a 30 or 40 yard gain because our safeties aren't making the play and our, and our corners have to make up for it and, and run them down. Let's not let it get to that. Let's get these, let's get Eric Gray down in the backfield. There's no reason why we shouldn't do it. And as far as offense, it's simple. Let Kyle Trask be Kyle Trask. I'm tired of these cute screen passes. I want to see Kyle Trask throw down the field. I want to see more of those 30 and 40-yard pass plays, which I know we're capable of doing. Justin Shorter, um, Trey, um, Trayvon Grimes, um, you know, you, you look at uh, Tony, Kyle Pitts, of course. Yep. I mean, we have, we have some of the best hands in the country. I'll take all our starting – four pass catchers over any starting four pass catchers in the country. And that includes the, uh, the receivers that Alabama has. I don't, I don't think there's a tight end on Bama that's better than, than Kyle Pitts. And I'll leave it at that. I mean, obviously we're playing Tennessee. We got to beat Tennessee and, you know, we could go on and on for, for, for days when it comes to breaking down this game as well as games to come, but let's go ahead and get to our picks. And we will leave our listeners in suspense and leave the best for last. So, so Alex, we'll have you go after Neil and I. I'll, I'll go first. I'm going to go and pick the Gators to go 37 to 17. And I'll leave, and, and I'll just say this: the last two um, games, I, I picked scores that were out of this league. I, last game, I picked the Gators to win 45-20, and then I later uh, I amended my pick to. 54 to 13 or something like that didn't happen or against Vanderbilt. I picked Gators to uh, score 73 points, man, that didn't happen. So, you know what? I'll, I'll pick, I'll pick a, a score in the thirties and then hope the Gators score more. We'll see. We'll see if that's a, that's a way to, to play the game. So yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to pick the Gators 37 to 17. I mean, look at Dustin and I just inverting roles here. I'm going to go 
and be the guy that Dustin has been the last couple of games where he's just picked obscene numbers that have no chance of panning out. And listen, I, I think really, I think that something snapped. I think some kind of switch was flicked when Mullen just lost his mind on Grantham. I don't know what it was. I don't know why that would make you be more fundamentally sound on defense and control your gaps and attack the right hip and tackle better. But, or I, and I don't know why it would suddenly make the offense score 17 points in the third quarter when it scored seven in the whole first half. But it's clearly something snapped then. And I'm going to say that that was a turning point for the season. I might get burned on this. We might wind up scoring three points in the first three quarters against the Vols, but I'm going to take that chance. And I'm going to say that Florida comes out guns blazing and unleashes a lot of frustration from the last couple of games that weren't good enough. We, you were supposed to beat them by 50 or 60, whatever. I think they hear that and they take their frustrations out and just maul Tennessee because they're every bit as depleted as Kentucky. And I just think they want the season to be over with. And I don't think they have the right coach. So throw all that together. There's no answer for Kyle Pitts or Kyle Trask. I think the Florida defense is rounding into form and will play its best game of the year. I'm going to go not ridiculous, but I'll say Florida wins 45 to 17. And now the moment you have all been waiting for, Alex Brown, what is your pick? Well, I mean, I'm picking the Florida Gators. I mean, I think we've talked about it uh, a ton. I um, mean, how I'm leaning, I think everybody kind of knew, but I think it's rightfully so. It, it's, they're in two totally different classes here. Uh, the Florida Gators are flying high. They're playing as good, if not better, than anybody in the country offensively. Um, I do think the defense takes a step here, and they really um, put their foot on someone's throat for the first time this year, and I think they shut them down. Now, that doesn't mean they don't give up any points. I think we jump out early, um, and then we start playing a soft coverage, which we'll give up a touchdown late. But I do have the score 54-10. Like, we just Ooh. absolutely beat the dog out of them, really. Like, it's just – it's not close, and I think we make it we, – we show it. And I'm uh, Right after we get off of here, I'm going to send um, Kyle Trask a message and let him know – that, hey, let's go, baby. You got to beat the dog. Don't, don't take your foot off the pedal, man. Don't take it off. Just keep beat, run the score up because they took a national title from us in 01. So there is, there is still some bad blood there. I knew there was. For me, <laughs> hell yeah. For me, yeah. Oh, of course. And I, and I will take – I just want to – if they go out and they play the best football, uh, if, if we do that, I'm telling you this game won't be close. It, it won't be close. If we – we play our best, they play their best. It's because the talent gap is just so immense. It's so big, so large. Like, they, they can't keep up. So, um, you don't have a – you don't have an – we keep talking about uh, Trask and, and Kyle Pitts that they don't have an answer from an answer for. Hell, they don't have an answer for Grimes. They don't have an answer for Tony, let alone Trask and, and, uh, and Pitts. So – I mean, and then we got, I mean, let's not forget about our running backs. Our running backs is going to, our offensive line, like, I really see this game offensive-wise as we score probably every time we get the ball. It's just one, it's going to be one of those games that Kyle just, he kind of adds and just puts a little distance in between him and whoever second is in that Heisman race. I think it's one of those games. 
Well, I sure hope you're right, because it would be a lot of fun to shut up those fans. As quiet as they've been this week, they've talked a lot of smack this past offseason. It'd be real nice to rub those receipts right back in their face. Yep. For sure. Which always is always fun to beat the balls. I love it. So let's go out. Let's do our job. Everybody does their job. And then make plays. Let's have fun. Because if we can go out and have fun this game and understand how important this game is, then we'll have an idea of how important the next game is. And they just get more and more important as you continue to win. So let's go out and do our job here. And we'll worry about next week when next week comes. Sounds good to me. Well, Alex, thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. We appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to chat with us and talk Gator football. Always, my man. So real quick, how can our listeners keep in touch with what you're talking about? How can we follow you on social media? Oh, man. Um, you can follow me on social media. It's AlexBrown96 on Twitter. It's 96ABrown on Instagram. And uh, if I don't know if you get a NBC Chicago, but if you have a, a fire stick at home, you look up NBC Chicago. I'm always on there talking about the Bears. Um, doing uh, doing, and I'm an analyst in Chicago, so I fly back every week and I do uh, shows, pre and post game shows for the Bears. So it's a lot of fun. I enjoy it. Um, so it's yeah, that's how that's how people can follow me, and hopefully one day uh, we'll all meet down at the swamp when they unveil that 13 above the stadium. Yeah, they yes. Last second callback to the beginning of our show. I love it. That's right. And how about this? How about this? Here's to unveiling two numbers, one for 13 in the Ring of Honor and number 11 and right in front of that stadium with the Danny Werfel, with the Steve Spurrier, and the Tim Tebow. Let's put Kyle Trash right next to him. Yep. I like it. (laughs) Would be great. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate it, guys. Hey, man, y'all have a, have a wonderful day. Hey, don't, don't tell Ben Troop that we said this, but you are by far the, the best guest we've had so far, <laughs> at least in my opinion. Oh, man, Troop, Troopy, man. Troopy is a great dude, man. I love Troopy. I won't tell him. <laughs> Actually, I might, yeah. but just to rub it in his face. <laughs> do it. Do it. Free PR for us. Sorry, Ben. Hey, you were, you were great, too. <laughs> You're all great. You're all just excellent. And we all, we always appreciate when someone of your status gives us the time to talk some Gator football. So we're really appreciative for you and Ben and for Shannon and Redell and Doring and everyone. We're very appreciative of your time. So thank you. No problem, man. Hey, I'm man. Like I said, I'm a Gator through and through, man. So I truly, um, I truly had a, had a blast. I really appreciate it. And uh, let's do it again. Yes, sir. Sounds like a plan. So that's about all we've got for this edition of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. If you've enjoyed our show, please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a five-star rating and nice review. And again, we just want to give a special thanks to our guest, Alex Brown, for joining us. Alex, thank you again for taking the time out of your busy schedule to hang out with us and talk some shop. (laughs) For sure, man. No problem. Anytime, man. It's been a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. And, of course, we we just want to thank you all for listening. Stay safe. Stay healthy. And, of course, go Gators! Go Gators! Go Gators! (laughs) Yes. Yes.